0: Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A Ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi ladies and welcome back to the Story Night podcast. For anybody who listened to episode 34 with Sandra, you may be waiting to hear the story from our first guest author, who was able to come and be a part of the Christian writing group that we have going on with Calvary Mac. So if you did hear Sandra's episode, you know that we get to start having some special guests on the Story Night podcast that are authors. And who better to share a story than an author herself? So today I have Kathy Sheldon Davis with me, and she is a contributing author of Jesus Talked to Me Today, True Stories of Children's Encounters with Angels, Miracles, and God. Kathy has been married to Jerry for 42 years. She's the mother of five, including a recent adoptee, and the grandmother of nine, two of which are also adopted. She has been a foster mom to 12 children She loves her work in home management and currently lives in Junction City, Oregon. I wanted to let you know this is going to be really a unique one. You're going to hear the story of a doll. And I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Because I hope that really piqued your interest as it did mine. A story of a doll. And I'm so excited to really um, unpack what that means (laughs) because it's so unique. We definitely have not talked about dolls yet on this uh, podcast. (laughs) Um, So, Kathy, thank you so much for being here and for taking the time to share your story. Um, So, with that, I'm going to let you kind of jump in and introduce yourself and and tell us about this doll or these dolls.
1: Thank you so much, Jessica. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity that you're giving me to make myself a little more public than I'm used to. I've noticed listening to previous podcasts that I want to know what these women look like. I want an image in my mind. So I'll describe myself a little bit. I'm in my 60s. I've got curly gray hair that I haven't touched with color. That's my husband's preference.
0: I love it. You're the first one to really describe yourself, which I think is great. It's always fun to have a picture of who you're listening to. And And I'll just add in that Kathy just has the sweetest, most precious smile ever. She's an absolute natural beauty. And as somebody with straight hair, I am lovingly jealous of her beautiful curls. (laughs) I'll start out by
1: saying that I was born a child of the 50s. And I was born to parents who were both raised in Christian and musical families singing around the piano. My parents met each other at Bible college and studied music, and my mother was determined to be a mother, so she studied early childhood education. And they gave us a rich heritage, us four children, a rich heritage in working in the church as music leaders, choir singers, small group, family group singers, and loving the ability to worship God that way as a group. The problem, though, which happens when children age, is I put myself under pressure to compete with very musical cousins, and one who became a master in piano, and one who got her master's in organ, and several who have written songs that are around the world in worship. Eventually, I didn't know this as a child, of course, but I didn't feel at some point that I measured up. I took the criticism too much internally. And as can happen with anybody in any realm, I felt a little scrambled and squelched, and I lost my interest in singing. When I got older, I said the devil stole my voice, but I'm not even going to give him that much credit. You know, he he couldn't have taken it unless I was willing to let myself be silenced. So here's where my doll comes in. At a very young age, this doll appeared, and I don't know who gave her to me. And she was a youth doll, so I have a feeling she came from the Women's Missionary Society donation box at church. She had uh, a very rumpled dress, and it was stained. She had marks on her arm that couldn't be washed off. And she had one shoe that was stretched out of shape and wanted to fall off all the time. And she was a chatty Kathy doll. So, of course, I loved her for those three things. We had the same name. Uh, She had freckles and long reddish-brown hair. And when I wanted to hear her talk, when I didn't want to hear her talk, I didn't pull her string. When I wanted to hear her talk, she would say cute little things like, Can I have a cookie? (laughs) Tell me a story. But because she was a used doll, the string was frayed, and I would pull it some days, and only half the sentence would come out, or it would even be garbled. And I learned later that that was also the time in my life when there were things happening to me that I didn't understand, So my voice also became not only the loss of a singing interest and a singing voice, but speaking as well. I'll share more about how I lost my speaking voice and what that meant later. So another doll to bring into the conversation here was my Betsy McCall doll. She was an 8-inch doll. She was my first doll given to me when we moved to Oregon from Texas, so she was my only friend for the longest time she had hinged knees, which was something I had never seen before. So I would play with her and then pose her on this dresser in our old, musty, stinky garage where I could get away from my siblings, right? And I would sit her there, pose her knees over the edge and make sure she wouldn't topple, and I'd perform for her. And I really don't remember what these performances were, but she admired me. She liked me. But One night I had a terrifying dream and I was performing for her and I noticed those hinges in her knees and decided to tease her about them. And before long I was mocking her, I was making fun of how silly they looked and in the nightmare she's starting to cave in and I see her wilting like a flower And it was like she was sitting on a hot plate, just kind of internally dying. And it terrified me. I was probably seven, eight years old. To me, that was an epiphany moment where I realized as time went on that my words can hurt people. And without even intending to start that way, I can be a very bad person, you know, and the Story winds up. I'm going to skip ahead to my high school years because a very similar image came to me again, only this time with a real person. And this girl, I'll call her Sherry, was a believer in another kind of religion that I thought wasn't correct. I had checked out a bunch of teaching tapes, which we called them cassettes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For which anybody under dates age me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, a way to record information. You know, it wasn't record albums, which was another ancient form. But I checked out these teachings to learn about different religions and cults so that I thought I would save the world by just setting everybody straight. Talk about a little arrogance there, right? So I studied her religion and approached her at school. And made a date with her to talk about her religion. And she got this look in her eyes like, oh, somebody likes me. Kathy wants to be my friend. Oh. So I met her in the cafeteria a few days later, and she had lugged in this nice little book about her religion, opened up, showed me the pictures, was going up and down about the different founders of her faith, and all the time i'm thinking this is really uncomfortable i don't know if i should be doing this but i had my prayer partner there and i thought you know i tend to be too timid i've got to be bold god wants me to be bold so i'm just going to confront her and i'm going to set her straight so she was done talking and i opened up my notes and i lambasted her i said you know this is really a cult you're involved in and You really need to learn the scriptures so you know the right way. Now I'm going to start crying. But I saw the light go out of her eyes, and I saw her wilt like the Betsy McCall doll. And thankfully, you know, it was 40 years later, I happened to find her on Facebook and contacted her. It took her about two months to reply because she doesn't spend much time on Facebook. And we were able to reconcile. And thank God for that. You know, he gives
0: us those opportunities if we ask. What a picture you have painted. I just visualizing, first of all, the nightmare with the doll. I could see everything that you described. I imagine that I am not the only one listening that could identify at different points in life with both sides, that Probably most of us at some point have been the wilting doll. We have had words spoken to us that just like you described, took the life out of us. And you just sort of crumble into nothing. And probably all of us at some point in some way have said something or done something that did the same to another person, whether we intended to or not, or whether we even knew we did it or not. But what a reminder and what a testimony to the power our words have. And even when we have a maybe a good intention, uh, generally speaking, if a Christian wants to share his or her faith, most of the time that's coming from a, a place of love of I have I have this wonderful relationship with a loving God and I want to share that with you. But it can come across or it can easily get twisted or presented in a way that just crushes somebody. And for you to recognize that and then 40 years later, go back to reconcile. I mean, anybody out there who hasn't had that opportunity to reconcile with somebody from the past, no matter how many decades it's been, I hope this is an encouragement. It is never too late. So, so far, your story has really had this parallel and this word picture, this sort of this image going along with a couple of dolls. But there are more, as I understand. We've got got some more dolls. So I'm going to hand it back over so that you can kind of share the next doll chapter of this life. My next story is
1: about my Raggedy Ann doll. And she came by my own hard-earned money. I went and bought her from a woman who sold her in the bazaar at church every year. And I had watched these dolls go off the shelves at every bazaar since I was very young and always wished I could have one. So Raggedy Ann was actually a brand new doll, my Raggedy Ann. She, All the materials had been assembled, purchased new, chosen especially for that doll. But if you know historically, Raggedy Ann dolls were not so pristine. They were made from dad's old farm shirt that couldn't be worn any longer and had been used in strips to scrub the floor with or to clean the windows with and finally washed that last time and stuffed into this doll's cavities, into her arms and legs. And then if the mother had some spare buttons that she would not be using them for another project, she would sew those on the doll's face, his eyes, and she would take scraps of knitting, or she'd unravel a sweater to make the hair. So initially, rag dolls were a whole bunch of leftovers, worn-out scraps, worthless articles otherwise. But my Raggedy Ann was all new, and to me, she was a picture of how the old can be made new and the new can be changed from old. And I might look to other people like I'm a mess. I've got raggedy hair. I've got clothes that aren't real fashionable. But inside, I'm a daughter of the great king of all. I'm made and handcrafted carefully by his design and cherished by him. So with my doll, since I was an older, I can't call myself a child because I thought I was pretty grown up at 16, But I set her on my bed on a pillow and I would leave her there all day, go to school, and I'd come back and she was still sitting there like a little princess. And one day I felt like she was looking at me like, don't you know, I was made for more than being an ornament? And I thought, okay, this is about my Sunday school class having adopted a family for Christmas to give Christmas gifts to. And I had thought, Maybe God wanted me to give up my doll. And no, I bought her myself, and I like her. I've always wanted her. She's mine. And, I, and then I look at the doll again, and I think, Come on, Kathy, you're going to be a woman if you're not one already. You don't need this doll, and your future children don't either. And I said, Okay, this doll has a mission. She was meant to be loved, hugged, thrown around the room with her you know, brothers and sisters, comforting a child maybe in the night that is scared of the dark. This doll has a mission, and I'm keeping her all to myself. So it was so hard, and you know, even as an adult, I still regret that doll going away. (laughs) But I put her in a paper bag, and I delivered her myself to this family because I held on to her so long I forgot I let the delivery date go by. I took her there myself and knocked on the door and handed over my doll. And I said, she has a job to do. She's yours.
0: What an amazing gift. I just love all the metaphors and life lessons that you can pull out of these stories about dolls. We probably all have a doll or a toy or something in our past that really symbolizes who we are or what we went through. So now we are a few doll chapters into your story. And what's the next one?
1: Well, my my next story is when I'm a little older. But I had a troll doll that had long, of course, very scraggly black hair and didn't have much interest in wearing clothes. I did wear clothes. So <laughs> I lie. never I never had a problem with wearing clothes. <laughs> but <laughs> this was the free spirit Kathy here. So This was during the Jesus Movement days, and I thought, since words can hurt and relationships can be hard, and the world would just be better if we spent less time with people, right? So my troll doll was going to be this free spirit, Kathy, and I was going to be a Christian hippie, and I was going to go live out in the woods because Jesus said he would take care of me, right? And I would roll out from a mossy blanket and there would be food on the trees and you know I had this great idea I was trying to sell to God that you know this would this would be ideal you take care of the world you came to died for the world we're all good and when you come back again then we'll be better at communicating with people without hurting them or being hurt by them. That fantasy lasted about two weeks because being raised in a godly home, I kept hearing these scriptures. (laughs) The first one being, you're to love your neighbor as yourself, and you just can't do that when you're trying to run away from your neighbor. So the free spirit that is still kind of in me, that kind of wants to just do things a little out of the ordinary or out of the box, has to come into line with, am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? So that's the end of the troll doll story. (laughs) So during those same years, I became a part of a Bible study in our community in Eugene that integrated all denominations and faiths in the area. So we had kids there from even the outlying communities coming into this youth pastor's living room for a Bible study. And I was sitting there cross-legged one night singing to Jesus very quietly so no one could hear me because nobody needed to hear my voice and because I couldn't think of a scripture where we were told people had to listen to us sing. So I was worshiping him with all my heart without anybody hearing the sounds. Somebody had said earlier that day that, God had changed her heart because she'd used the excuse that she was shy, which is why she wouldn't communicate with people. And God reprimanded her in her mind and said, Actually, it's pride. You're afraid people will judge you. You're afraid that you're going to mess up and look like a fool, and they won't like you. And it's your pride that's getting hurt here. And as I was sitting there trying not to be heard in my singing, I heard that in my heart, too, that, no, it's not because of anything that happened in the past. It's not because of the way you're programmed. It's because you've decided people can only see a perfect Kathy and you're not willing to be real. And I started crying again. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Because when the truth hits... You either blanket it and protect yourself from it, or you accept it. So, okay, now I'm hearing the scriptures. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will make music to my God while I have my being. So I thought, okay, I need to declare that. If David the psalmist said it, I better say it too. So I started singing a little louder and a little louder, and then over time... I joined the worship team at church. I took a mission trip to India as a worship leader. This was one of three short-term mission trips that we went on, my husband and I. When we had arrived in India for our two-week-long mission trip, one of the first events we had was to stand on a platform in front of a pastor's conference full of, I believe there were 140 churches represented, and the realization that this free-spirit wild child from Oregon was standing in front of pastors that I considered, they were also church leaders there, that laid down their lives for the gospel. And actually, it cost them something more than it cost me, I felt, to be a follower of Jesus. Of course, it was extremely humbling, and it was an old Catholic school cafeteria platform so the sound system would keep blinking out, and the lights would buzz, you know. There were faulty connections, and it was rough. And pretty soon I couldn't see the people in front of me that I was singing in front of. And I thought, Lord, this is really weak. I said, I don't have so much to offer. My voice is just a thin thing. It goes out into space in front of me, and then it just disappears like a vapor. I said, really, on a mission trip, I need to build something people can touch and feel and can measure. And I'll say, a hundred people came to the Lord or whatever the measure of success would be. I said, is there more for me than just this sacrifice? And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you did kind of create the whole universe with just a word, right? Oh, Oh, and I'm made in your image. Oh, my goodness. You know, so words, even from this girl from Oregon, can do amazing things in God's hands. So then I wasn't so worried about the results of my sacrifice and my singing.
0: I just love the the pictures you paint. I feel like I'm standing there with you in each chapter of your story. And what you said reminded me so much of what Sandra had said this that god uses words and it does it can easily seem like words aren't very much i just kind of a, a funny silly example i remember giving a card to somebody one time and it was you know just kind of a like a thank you card and sort of apologizing because there wasn't a gift with it you know it was like it's like i have this for you i'm you know i'm it's, it's nothing like there's there's nothing exciting in it there's no gift card there's no whatever and i remember she looked at me and she said there are words in this i love words and i just went oh my gosh what a reminder for all of us that yes words make a big difference words are so valuable and if they're good enough for god to use to create the whole world my goodness they're good enough for us to use to serve him and glorify him whether those are spoken written or sung Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) that is so true and I'm going to tell you the story of a real little girl now she was not a doll her name was Asha she stood in front of the congregation in a little church in Lucknow India singing her solo to the whole congregation with all of her heart all of her exuberance she was a little orphan and when my team came out she sat directly in front of me. She was like one step down from me from the platform with her adoring eyes drinking me in as this wonderful woman from across the sea and I want to be just like her. And sure enough, when she came and told me afterwards that I sang very pretty, that is what I discerned from her that I was becoming like an idol to her. And she said, I want to be like you. And I you know, quick prayer, oh God, give me the words, you know. So I put my hands on her cheeks and looked right into her eyes, and I said, honey, Jesus loves it when we sing to him. And that was full circle to me, where I could not only let my voice loose for people to hear the sour notes and the good notes and to see my attempts to express my love for God and then to pass it on to a child who didn't have a mother so that she would know that God's listening.
0: What a precious moment for that little girl to hear about the love of Jesus in a moment like that where you really showed a mother's heart to a little girl without a mother. And your heart for children and your nurturing soul and motherly nature extended far beyond your biological children, as I understand So let's dive into that chapter now. And I'm curious if the chapter about your fostering experience relates at all to the theme and the metaphors of these dolls in your life. You
1: know, skipping a whole bunch ahead, I eventually became a foster mom. And again, I see these dolls in my foster parenting. Think of Chatty Kathy, who came to me used, and I did not know her history i did not know how she'd been treated i didn't know if she'd ever had nice clothes but i accepted her the way she was and i loved her and when our first foster daughter came to us i I was telling sandra this earlier that i have been raised in a family of people who adopted out of mexico and so in my young childhood Children that needed homes all had very dark hair and dark skin. But my first foster daughter came in the door with blonde curly hair. And she wasn't sad and impoverished and desperate. She was ready to party. And she bounced up and down and her hair curls bounced up and down. And she was ready for her next adventure in life. completely broke all these preconceptions I had about a child that needed my help. So there again, you know, I'm looking at, is she a princess in disguise like my raggedy Ann? Is there broken things inside that I don't see? I don't know these things, and I don't have to know these things. Like Jesus accepts me, I accept her. So I want to tell you a funny story about her now. She was a very talkative child, and besides being bouncy and exuberant and excited about life, so a year after she was with us she would have been just 8 years old we went to dhs to pick up a second placement and this little boy i'll call him juan had been very well mothered was separated his mother from the first for the first time by being taken into dhs custody and the caseworker told us when we arrived that Juan was a little concerned when the caseworker told Juan that my foster daughter likes to talk because Juan was a very quiet, somber, serious little boy. So the caseworker had coached him. She said, if this little girl talks too much and you're done with it, you can just tell her that. You can say, I need some quiet now. And then she will know it's time not to speak anymore. So Juan was a little nervous about us showing up, so he was on a little blanket under the caseworker's bed, kind of hiding from us. But he warmed up and got in the car with us and headed to our house. Well, my little girl was all over him. Oh, you're going to like Kathy's house. She's really nice, and we have cookies a lot, and, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And she's going on and on, just working so hard to make Juan feel cared for, you know, you're gonna have a good time. Oh we've got all these toys. And I kind of broke in at one point, I'm watching them both in my rear view mirror, and I said, Juan is is she bothering you with all of her talking? No. I said, Okay. And he was still looking so sad, so I thought, oh I'll make a connection for him here. Maybe he doesn't realize she has been in his situation so i said she kind of understands she's trying to make you feel better because she understands some of what you're feeling because she has to be away from her mommy right now too and just silence and i watched his face and you know his eyebrows kind of scrunch as he's processing this you mean she's not your daughter i said no she she has to be away from her mommy for a while, while things get worked out at home. You know, you have to be careful how much you reveal about another child's privacy. And so then he was really thinking hard and I just kept looking back at him. And finally, Juan speaks up. She said, he said, is it because she talks? <laughs> oh my goodness. I I turned my head away so he wouldn't see my face in the mirror. I didn't want him to see me want him to see me laughing at him or dealing with this is crazy you know and then my face totally changed cuz I realized the tragedy of it this little boy thinks children are taken from their parents because they talk too much I said oh no one that's not it at all you know and in the best way I could describe it in 6-year-old terms I said DHS doesn't take children away from their families because they talk. It's because there's things that the family needs to work out and make a better home for their child. It's not because they talk. (laughs) So after I was able to explain that to him, and he was satisfied with the answer, I looked at my foster daughter and her lips were tightly shut and was like, I'm not going to say anything else. (laughs) <laughs> she was speechless for one of the few times in her life.
0: <laughs> you know, as soon as you use the word foster care or foster mom or foster child, immediately, kind of as you noted, a lot of preconceptions come to our minds. Uh, many of us have stereotypes, whether whether that's from the media or stories that we've heard of uh, about foster care and what does that look like. So. At this point in your life, you just have to stop and ask. You know what what led you to open your home to a child in need, and whatever that need might have been, at whatever stage um, of life for the child. But how did you come to the decision? How did you decide that this was something that you felt called to do? And kind of where were you at in your life at this point? Mm. Well,
1: the decision to to become a foster parent was a little journey, so it'll, it'll be a few paragraphs worth, I think, I have to share here. <laughs> we had four birth children, and they were mostly grown. My youngest was the only daughter, and we had prayed with her many nights that maybe God would give her a little sister someday. But that's as far as that went, and we had decided already that four was our limit. That was heart-wrenching for me, actually, because I felt differently than my husband did and that God still had a whole bunch of mothering skills in my life invested that I needed to spend somewhere. So after much prayer and agonizing, I mean, we had lived on this mile-long gravel road that I would walk up and down this road reasoning with god you know you gave me this gift why can't i use it i'm good at it and i love it and i'm productive and children are helped because of me you know why don't you give us more children and i mean it went nowhere from there so after a few years and you might say laying that desire before god as a sacrifice take it from me if it's not from you or keep me in this difficult place, whatever is your will, will be good in the end, I approached Jerry, my husband, one day and said, you know, how, how about we foster and ask a God for one child? I said, I know you're not real excited about fostering, but I, you know, like I said, I still have mothering in me to spend. He said, you know, it's not going to be just one. <laughs> I said, well, God does miracles, right? You know, maybe maybe something will change in the way he programmed me, and giving one more child this kind of attention will satisfy that. So that's when we were placed with this little blonde cutie pie that within two weeks I was praying by her bedside, and I had made this vow with her. I That night I made this vow with her, and my husband was on board with it, I said, I can't promise you anything in the future. You're not my child, but I promise to love you. Oh, no, tears again. (laughs) You can tell I love her, right? I said, we want to be your last foster home. And I don't know if that means you'll live with us forever or if you'll go away and I never see you again. We want to be your last foster home. And after that, she relaxed into the family. It just really was apparent that a level of security was there for her that maybe she hadn't had before. And since I can tell you the end of the story, as far as I know it so far, we did need to go through some court proceedings to terminate rights and eventually adopt her, but that didn't go through. So she was in and out of our home three times. And the final time was her last year of high school. And all those times she left with a lot of heartache and having to resign again to God being in charge, not the government, not DHS, not the caseworkers, not Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) And at the age of 24, she came to us. You know, we were definitely a family, invested in her, and she was invested in us at that point. And she chose us and said, I wish you had adopted me. And so we did at the age of 24. (laughs) So the one actually, you know, it really in our lives didn't change anything. We see her as much as we always did. We are still a part of her special occasions as much as we always were. You know, from that first two weeks of her being with us, I was at every court hearing and every part of her life that I could be a part of to support her. And I guess God was just waiting for her to make the choice. She got married here recently, and her mother and I, her birth mother and I, both got to be a part of the wedding. So it wasn't a divorce from one family to another. It was the combining of her family.
0: I absolutely love that. And I think that is an amazing reminder that it's never too late to find family and that family comes in all shapes and sizes with different backstories. And they're all just so amazing. So I
1: want to wind it up my time here with... A recent observation, maybe it has nothing to do with dolls, but more with our heart to serve other people and to really love other people, because for me, not to sing or not to speak was very selfish, and I was not thinking about loving my neighbor as myself, or really loving God the way he wants to be loved. So... I was reading in Luke, where, I believe it's Luke, where Mary answers the angel by saying, I am a servant of God. Let it be to me as you have said. I said, and the Apostle Paul. Okay, now I remember all these letters he wrote. He didn't introduce himself with all his credentials like I was introduced with the you know title of a book that I'm published in. But I'm Kathy, a
0: servant of God. You know you said you weren't sure if this connected to the dolls at all, but I think in some way it does because when we picture a doll and a child playing with a doll, usually that child is serving the doll they're taking the child is taking care of the doll, feeding it, holding it, um, playing with it, but ultimately caring for it and and really serving it. I just think it's fascinating how you've woven your story through all of these chapters related in some way to different types of dolls and and just the symbolism of the dolls and the metaphor there and what each one represents and how each one has a backstory and maybe an identity. And probably most of us listening can relate to one of the dolls mentioned in your story, or maybe have an idea of a different kind of doll that best represents who we are or what we've been through. So I'd love to ask you to speak to our listeners, giving a little hope and encouragement for anyone who has experienced some of the trials that you mentioned.
1: Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is your story's not over. Think about the reconciliation with my high school classmate and, you know, very soon after that happened, the incident happened, we parted ways. We graduated and she went to another state. I had no idea how to contact her once I realized I needed to fix the problem I'd made. But for me, being focused on loving God, seeking Him, reading His words so I could recognize His voice better, and humbly asking for a chance to reconcile with her you know it took time the story's not over and I'm sure you know my relationship with these dolls isn't over either at all one thing I know this is now that's something I repeat a lot in my life I boil it down to that one thing I know one thing I know is my story is not just my story so we are a part of each other as Christ's body And so when one part is hurting, we all feel it. So there is one doll, there is one story that we've looked at, you know, bit by bit here. We've gone through these different stories, but really, these are universal stories. It's just my creative way and my perspective on how I processed my life with God. But when you do see, you know, turn it to someone else who may also be feeling like you as raggedy or as lost or as voiceless or as discredited because of what you believe or being the abuser who discredited someone else. You know, we have hurt each other. We all need forgiveness and we all need to help and encourage others that they're not alone in their state that they are
0: that's so true and i really appreciate you opening your your story to us thank you for the words of encouragement and for anybody listening who is loving the word picture and really identifying with with everything that you're saying as we mentioned at the beginning you are an author and you have published works and you are writing currently i believe and is still you're not done so i was hoping before we before we sort of close our time and before we pray for our listeners, I wanted to ask you to share a little bit more about what you've already written and published, what you're currently working on and and just really where listeners can find you. You know if they want to read more from you or learn more about you can you can you share that with us? I have been blogging for Seven, eight, nine
1: years, so you can find pretty regular blog posts at kathysheldondavis.com. I've been blogging less lately because of some physical limitations, and I'm writing a little less than normal, but I do maintain a contract with Warner Press, so I'm publishing devotionals with them. The book is called Pathways, Moments with God, and it comes out quarterly. That can be ordered from warnerpress.com. I wanted to mention how the book that I'm a contributing author of features my very first doll story, which was what was the incentive for looking at the other dolls to see if they had something to say to myself and to the world. That can be published through Bethany House, and it's also on Amazon.
0: And we'll have those links in the episode notes for anybody to click on and so much of what Kathy you've shared with us today you know these how these dolls in your life reflect your story and and really there are lessons to be found within them this is all kind of connected to the book that is not yet published the memoir of a living doll the title in itself is so fascinating especially listening to how you described these dolls and how they connected into your story so if somebody wanted to read that book. It's, you know, it's it's not available right now, correct? But do we just kind of follow your blog to find out if and when we get a chance to kind of read that in its entirety?
1: Yes, it it will definitely be on my blog. I also have a writer Facebook page, which is Kathy Sheldon Davis. As a member of Oregon Christian Writers, it will be in their newsletters as
0: well. Perfect. Well, thank you. And as we mentioned Kathy came here to Calvary Mac today to be a guest author, um, visiting and, and chatting with the people who meet once a month with the Christian Writers Group that Sandra leads up. And so, anybody is anyone who lives in the McMinnville area is welcome to get more information on that. And and if you live in another state or another country, but would still like to get connected with Christian writing, please feel free to to reach out to us. We'll get you connected to the right people. We're always happy to help with resources and connections. So, Kathy, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing about your dolls. And that sounds like such a simple sentence, but. Listening back to what you've shared, it's it's so much deeper than that. As we close, I was hoping you would pray for the listeners. There are so many different types of dolls as there are so many different types of women, but each equally loved and equally valuable and, and treasured. So if you would if you would pray over them, that would be amazing.
1: Lord, we know we're much more valuable than the sparrows that fly. And we're much more valuable than any picture of a doll. But Lord, help us to look to you and see what you see when you look at us. That we are your dear creation, worthy of the sacrifice of your Son. In your sight, we are worth the highest price that could be paid. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you so much for making us free to be real in you. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate it so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. This was such a unique episode of the Story Night Podcast, and it's always fun to to see what God has in store for for speakers. We wish you a very blessed week and hope you come back next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.